Well, Father, we thank you that you are always revealing yourself to us, always shining your light upon us, always pursuing us, always merciful and gracious to us. You're rich in love and slow to anger. Your name is great and your heart is kind. Uh, So, Lord, help us now as we look into your word uh, to feel that light shining into our hearts. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning once again. If you have a Bible with you or in front of you or on your phone, I invite you to turn once again to Paul's letter to the Philippians. And we'll be in those verses that Jana read to us just a minute ago, uh, verses 18 through 26. So I've been reflecting on these uh, verses all week long. It's occurred to me as you just sit with these verses, sit with this book, and you look at how Paul is, uh, is doing in prison, that on the one hand, it, we can always believe in, in the gospel on a Sunday morning, can't we? We can always be confident in it when we're sitting in our pews like this. We can always trust in the gospel when we're listening to a sermon. But can we believe in the message of the gospel on a Monday morning? Can we have confidence in the gospel when we're sitting in a doctor's office? Can we trust in it when we're listening to a diagnosis? We can always trust in Jesus when things are looking good, can't we? And we're relatively happy and healthy. But what about when things aren't looking good? Or what about when we're suffering? It's a question I think it's important for us to ask, and it's a question that Paul was probably asking kind of goes like this. How much weight can we put on this pillar? How much weight can we put on the pillar of the gospel? How much pressure can it withstand? Is there a point at which in our life, in our real life, and I'm not talking about a Sunday morning happy life. Is there a point in our life at which the gospel buckles or the gospel budges and a point at which it can't hold us anymore? or our life, or our kids, or our marriage, or our church anymore? Is there a low we can go that's so low, the light of the gospel is no longer sufficient? can always believe in the message of the gospel on a bright Sunday morning. What about during a dark night of the soul? We can always trust in Jesus when things look good. What about when things look terrible? What about when we're suffering? What about when we're looking death right in the face? What about then? Is he really enough then? Is Jesus really enough then? Is the gospel really sufficient then? What about then? How deep down does the gospel go? I think Philippians allows us a moment to uh, get real, basically. Let's, let's get real. Is the gospel really enough? Is Jesus really sufficient or not really? <laughs> does the gospel provide for us a certain hope or a sometimes hope? So to answer that question, let's step once again into the prison cell with Paul. That's where we find ourselves this morning, in prison with Paul, as we get back into the book of Philippians, verses 18 through 26 in chapter 1. Paul's in prison. He's in chains. He's suffering. And we'll see that the very gospel, the very same gospel that has gotten Paul into prison is the very same gospel that gives him certain hope in that prison. 
in his place of suffering. He's confident in his ultimate deliverance. In the confusion about what his captors might do to him, he's sure about what God will do through him. Considering the very real prospect, it's amazing, of his own death, he's totally unafraid. And even as, we'll see this, even as he's torn between this life and the next, Paul's at peace. So here in the darkness of a prison cell, in the middle of suffering, he's confident. He's sure. He's unafraid. And he's at peace. How in the world is this possible? How is this possible? It's because Paul believes in the message of the gospel. It's because Paul trusts in Jesus. It's because Paul knows he can put all of his weight on this pillar because the gospel won't buckle. The gospel won't budge. And the same light of the same Jesus that had knocked Saul of Tarsus off of his high horse on the road to Damascus is the same light that's shining upon him into the very place of his suffering and captivity. This has been my experience in my life. It has. Just like I'm sure you have, I have experienced times of darkness and suffering and crisis and depression. And even though there were always tons of things that didn't make any sense and a heaviness that sometimes seemed too much for me to bear, Jesus has always come to me on my level. Doesn't he do that? Isn't it amazing? He always comes to me on my level. Jesus always comes to you on your level. We don't always get answers. We certainly don't always get the answers we want, but we always get Jesus. It's been my experience. Has it been your experience? It's been my experience in ministry as well. I have the privilege of sitting with people either in a coffee shop or in a hospital room or in a nursing home or in their living room. And more often than I can remember, two thoughts go through my mind sometimes. Uh, On the one hand, I have nothing to offer this person. But on the other hand, I have everything to offer this person. Jesus. Jesus himself. So this good news, the good news of the gospel comes to us at our lowest place. And you may need to hear that again this morning. The gospel comes to you at your lowest place, just like it came to Paul in a prison cell. It comes to us on our level, in our suffering, in our marriages, in our addictions, in our brokenness, in our depression, in our jobs, in our decisions, in our mundane, in our classrooms and lecture halls. And this good news infuses us with, yes, a certain hope. The gospel doesn't just give us a sometimes hope when things are good. The gospel gives us the certain hope of Jesus himself. And the first thing we'll see in our text this morning is this certain hope comes to us in our place of suffering. Look with me at Philippians chapter 1, verse 18, where we pick up halfway through that verse. Paul was in mid-thought, mid-sentence. He was rejoicing in the advance of the gospel when we, were, he, we rudely interrupted him for the bishop's visit last week. So Paul was in mid-thought, and he was rejoicing earlier in, in the advance of the gospel through the church out there. And now Paul's thoughts shift. Paul is now rejoicing in the advance of the gospel in here, in his own soul, advancing through and within him. He writes, yes, I will rejoice 
Verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this, this, his imprisonment, his suffering, his darkness, his captivity, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. It's crazy. Two things I'd like for us to notice here. As we consider gospel hope in our place of suffering, and here's the first, we can be confident that Jesus will deliver us. Paul says he knows. He doesn't think, doesn't have a good feeling. He knows that his suffering will turn out for his deliverance. And he knows this because people are praying for him. So never discount the power of prayer. Never discount the power of someone praying for you. Never be ashamed to say to someone, pray for me. And he knows it because Jesus is helping him. Paul doesn't know what deliverance will look like. God hasn't given Paul a specific deliverance date. I don't know if God ever does that for you. He never does it for me. I never get an email from God saying, click this link and you can track when your deliverance will come, how your deliverance will look, you know. Circle the date on your calendar. This is when your deliverance from this problem is coming. This is when your suffering will end. God never gives us a date. He didn't give Paul a date. He's not that specific. We don't know when or how we will be delivered from suffering. Paul didn't know when or how. He doesn't know if he's going to be delivered in an immediate sense. You know, one day the jailers will come and unlock the thing and let him go. He doesn't know if he'll be delivered in an eternal sense, that he'll, he'll die and he'll be released from this earthly life. He doesn't know what it will look like. There's a very long list of specific things Paul doesn't know. Anybody ever been there? Long list of specific things we don't know. But there's one big, giant, general thing Paul does know, and it's that this will turn out for my deliverance. He's quoting Job here, by the way. Job from the Old Testament You know the story, poor Job, afflicted beyond human comprehension. Except for his own life, Job loses everything. And Job experiences grief and loss and poverty and spiritual attack and mental anguish and weeping and mourning we could never fathom. And what's even worse is even in the middle of that, he has these ignorant friends who are giving him terrible advice terrible counsel, who have it all wrong, who have God all wrong. And Job interrupts them and he says to them, this is uh, Job's Old Testament book, 13, chapter 13, verse 13. He says to his friends, let me have silence. Basically, shut up (laughs) and I will speak. And Job says, let come on me what may. Here's Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. And in Job 13, 16, which Paul then quotes in a prison cell, Paul quoting Job, this will be my salvation. This will turn out for my deliverance. Paul quotes Job, and he's saying, I don't know how long I'll have to wait. I don't know how it's going to look. I don't know when God's going to do it. I don't know how God's going to do it. He hasn't sent me a date, but I have the certain hope, certain hope in the gospel of deliverance. This will turn out for my deliverance one way or the other, because my trust is not in my circumstances. My trust is not in my bank account. 
My trust is not in my health. My trust is in Jesus. This will turn out for my deliverance. And some of us need to hear this today. Be reminded that whatever we are facing, no matter how hard, no matter how terminal, if we belong to Jesus Christ, and if we have put our trust in his gospel, we can be absolutely certain wherever we are, whatever we're facing, whatever the news, Jesus is with me, and this will turn out for my deliverance. We can believe like Paul did in the gospel. We can trust in this Jesus here on a Sunday morning in church with the light streaming in the windows or in a dark night of the soul or on a Monday morning in a doctor's office. Because this gospel is it's big enough to fill this sanctuary and it's personal enough to sit with you in your kitchen. This gospel is strong enough to empower the church of Jesus Christ and this gospel is tender enough to hold your hand during your MRI. This gospel is powerful enough to save sinners and it's real enough to save a marriage. It is. Paul doesn't write Philippians from a beach house, okay? <laughs> Paul writes this letter from a dungeon because that's how low the gospel will go. That's how low Jesus will reach down. I once sat with someone who had uh, been admitted to the COVID ward of a hospital back when COVID was raging and this person was 95% certain they were going to die. The doctors had said it, the nurses had said it, the family was preparing, and I was there. I was wearing more gowns and gloves and hats and plastic face shields and masks than I've ever imagined was possible to fit on one human being. You would have thought I was visiting a nuclear waste site or something. And I'm, I'm sitting with this person, and in their eyes was peace. Now, happy ending. This person didn't die. Uh, they're doing quite well. They didn't die. They were, but they were filled with peace in that moment. Filled with courage. Where does that come from? Where in the world does that come from? They might die. They might not. But they know this will turn out for my deliverance. Because I got Jesus. Notice also here in verse 20. Paul is not only confident that Jesus will deliver him. Paul is confident that Jesus will be honored Verse 20, Paul writes this. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, pause there. We might misunderstand what Paul is saying here. When he says, uh, my eager expectation and hope, we might take that to mean that what Paul is saying is I'm crossing my fingers here, I really hope I stay strong for Jesus. I really hope I don't embarrass myself. I really hope that I can prove to be the Apostle Paul here and honor Jesus. That is not what he's saying. Paul is saying that his eager expectation and hope is in a certain outcome. That's the way Paul is phrasing it here. So it's like Paul would say, it's my eager expectation and hope that the sun will rise in the east tomorrow morning. It's my eager expectation and hope that the sun will set in the West. It's a sure outcome. He says it with certainty. From a language standpoint here, Jesus is the subject of the verb. Paul doesn't say it this way, which is how a lot of us, myself included, try to live our Christian lives. Paul doesn't say, I will honor Christ. He doesn't say, I will prove to be a father of the faith. I will prove to be the apostle Paul. I will stay strong. No, He's, he, he minimizes his own role in this, and he says this, Christ 
will be honored. The Spirit is always at work in us, even as we suffer. Remember, the Holy Spirit is Christ in us, Jesus at work in us. And so what that means is, in the same way that we aren't saved by works, we also don't glorify Christ by works. Even in our suffering, we glorify Christ in the same way we're saved by Christ, by grace, through faith. This is not from ourselves. Paul is as certain of this as he is of the sun rising. That because Christ is at work in him, that's a reality, that's a fact. He knows that. The spirit of Christ is at work in Paul, and so he knows. Since the spirit of Christ is at work in me, Christ will be honored through me. So you can be just as sure of this in your own life as well. And we can be just as sure of this here at this church, at Truro as well. Christ will be honored. This is the certain hope of the gospel in our place of suffering. Jesus will deliver us and he will be honored through us. We can take it to the bank. So we continue on into verse 21 now. Paul reminds us now the gospel gives us certain hope in the face of death. Verse 21, Paul writes, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. Let's pause there. Because this is the center of the center right here. This, this right here is the core of the core that in Jesus is such life that gives us life and sustains our life and transforms our life and defines our life. That's the kind of light that's in Jesus. And in Jesus' death that conquered death and triumphed over death and vanquished death in the resurrection, that in Jesus' victorious death, our death is not death at all, but actually life. That's the core of the core the center of the center. In him is life and life and life. And so even in his death, there is life. Who else in the world could do that but our King Jesus? This is the center of the center. We can think about it this way, that no matter what then because of Jesus, no matter what, life or death or joys or sorrows or anything in between, it's a win-win. Literally in the original language, Paul doesn't even waste ink on the word translated is. He's saying, to live, Christ. To die, gain. There's no is there. It's just to live, Christ. To die, gain. But lest we misunderstand him again, Paul is not saying, you know, life is great, but death is a, death is a relief. Or, uh, you know, if I die, well, then at least I get out of prison. Or I I kind of just fall over the finish line into heaven. Paul is not saying that. Paul is saying that even here in this life, even here in your job, even here in your suffering, you get Jesus. And even there on your death, and even there at the time of your death, and even there on the other side of your death, you get Jesus. Both sides of the equation. Guess what? Jesus. The gospel gives us certain hope in the face of death. That's why Paul says to live is Christ, to die is gain. So we can leave here today. We can leave here this afternoon and pull into our neighborhoods and see all of the scary Halloween decorations in our neighbor's yards. I'm sure in none of your yards. <laughs> Ghosts and 
goblins and witches and spiders and skeletons. We can look at all of these supposedly spooky symbols of death and we can laugh at them. We can laugh in the face of death because we're not afraid of death. Hell's no power over us. You can look at these symbols of death and say, gain. Try it out tomorrow night. <laughs> Go trick-or-treating. Ring a doorbell. Somebody comes to the door, opens the door up. They say hello. And you say, gain. <laughs> now, Reese's peanut butter cup, please. <laughs> or a Snickers. Not a Three Musketeers. That is not gain. That is not gain. <laughs> okay. Gain. That's what Paul is saying. Look at death in the face. Laugh at it. Gain. This confidence produces this peace in Paul. Look at this peace in his earthly life, even in prison. But you can tell it also produces in Paul just a lovely, wonderful longing for heaven. But again, it's not because of some desire to escape. Death is not an escape for Paul. It's just because heaven is more and more of Jesus. More and more of Jesus. He's torn. He's hard-pressed. He tells us this. And if you ever struggle, I want to say this, if you ever struggle with a fear of death, or if right now you're struggling with, with grief over death, circle the end of verse 23 and go back to this whenever you need to, whenever you're afraid of death, whenever you're racked with grief over death. Go to the end of verse 23. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. Why? For that is far better. I like how the NIV translation puts it. You might have that in front of you. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Something about those words, better by far. Say those three words with me, better by far. Praise God. This is the verse, this is the verse right here that God used to save me from the deepest pit of grief that I have known so far in my life. It was about six and a half years ago when we lost um, my dad. He died unexpectedly. He died tragically. I wasn't able to say goodbye. We weren't able to say goodbye. And it was like, I'm sure you felt this. It was like someone had reached into my chest and yanked my heart out. I'm sure you've felt that. And there was a moment, I remember vividly, it was in our old house, it's in our bedroom, when I was weeping, I was unable to think straight. You know, just those thoughts. I'm sure you've had them. Sometimes you've experienced loss of a loved one of what if and if only and, you know, all the regrets, all the missed opportunities, just in a, in a spin cycle of, of overwhelming grief and sadness and weeping. And somehow I had the presence of mind. I don't know how I did. Maybe it's because the Lord knew someday I could use it as a sermon illustration, I guess. But... Um, <laughs> Somehow, I had the presence of mind to say to Catherine, tell me something that's true. And she quoted this verse to me. I said, Jamie, to depart and be with Christ is better by far. Praise God for this certain hope of the gospel in the face of death, amen? amen. Praise God for a wife who quotes Philippians to you, too. <laughs> I love how the Easter hymn puts it. In our hymnals, we have this old hymn called The Strife is O'er. And all the verses are amazing, but I love these two verses in particular. One of the verses says this, that Jesus closed the yawning gates of hell 
The bars from heaven's high portals fell. Let hymns of praise his triumphs tell. Alleluia. Do you know this hymn? You know this hymn, some of you. The powers of hell have done their worst, but Christ their legions hath dispersed. Let shouts of joy outburst. Alleluia. Billy Graham once said this. Someday you will hear or read that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. (laughs) He says, I shall be more alive than I am now. I will have just changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. To live is Christ. To die is gain. And to be with Jesus is better by far. This is the certain hope of the gospel in our place of suffering, in the face of death, and finally in the day-to-day. That's how Paul ends this thought. Verse 24, he's speaking to the Philippians, and he says, to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Verse 26, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now, Paul is in prison for sure, physically, He's in prison, we know this, but Paul is free. This is how a free person talks. This is how a free person thinks. This is how a liberated person talks who believes and trusts in the gospel, who knows that Jesus is with him, who knows that to live is Christ, to die is gain, because the gospel has set him free, even in prison, to simply, totally trust God with the details of his earthly life of his day-to-day life. Paul isn't choosing his destiny here. I know earlier he, he used this phrase of which I shall choose, I cannot tell. But Paul, it's not up to Paul whether, whether or not he lives. It's not up to Paul whether or not he's released from prison. Those decisions are way above his pay grade, whether or not he lives, whether or not he's released from prison. And these decisions are all way above our pay grade too. But what does Paul have? Paul has a conviction. Look at this. He says, I am convinced, convinced of this. Paul is convinced that God is choosing. And so we see clearly here that the gospel has taken root in Paul. And how we see this in Paul is what we want to see in us and in our church. The light of Jesus is shining upon Paul. And even though Paul is locked up in a dungeon, how do we see the gospel is really enough for him? How do we see the gospel is really sufficient for him? He trusts Jesus. He simply trusts him. Paul had truth in his head for sure. He certainly had a lot of truth in his head. This is brilliant scholar Paul. This is Paul who wrote Romans. Brilliant man, brilliant theologian. He understood the gospel theologically. He had truth in his head for sure, but This truth had produced trust in his heart. The truth of the gospel in our heads gives birth to trust in the gospel in our hearts. Again, a lot of details Paul doesn't know. A lot of answers he doesn't have. Just like a lot of details you don't know. A lot of details you don't have. And me too. But there's a savior that we can know. There's a certain hope that we can have. And Paul says, in essence, well, God has decided that this is necessary 
And so since God has decided that, this will happen. And so let Jesus Christ be praised. So he finishes this way. So that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. There are these predictable patterns we see throughout the book of Philippians, gospel patterns, and we wanna see them in our lives as well. So may God just fix us, fix us, fix us securely upon the pillar of the gospel. It never buckles. It never budges so that we would know and trust in this certain hope and so that you and I would know it and trust it, not just on a Sunday morning when the sun is coming through the windows, but so that we trust in it on a Monday morning in a doctor's office or in a dark night of the soul. In the place of your suffering, in the face of death, and in the day-to-day of your life, to live Christ, to die gain. This is our eager expectation and hope, and it's as sure as the sun will rise. So let's pray and ask for God's help. We thank you, O God, that you not only shine the light, but you are the light. Thank you that you not only love us, but you are love. And you've not only told us this in words and in scripture, you've shown us this in Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you. And I pray that you would, in our hearts, stir more and more trust in Jesus and love for him. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Amen.